Hello and welcome to the Teaching Drama Podcast. I guess it's a musical now. Hello everyone, my name is Kyle A. Thomas and this is the Teaching Drama Podcast. Seth is not with us this episode, unfortunately, so you've got me and we have an amazing guest for you this episode. But first, since I'm the only one here on this episode, I'm going to jump onto Reddit as we did last time. And instead of going to the Ask Historians subreddit, I'm actually going to go straight to the theater subreddit. Been spending a little time there. Lots of interesting queries, questions, concerns, and issues being brought up on this subreddit. I like this one. The title's kind of weird, but stick with me. Tips for rebranding myself. BB taken more seriously as an actor. I think they mean tips for rebranding myself to be taken more seriously as an actor. And they elaborate... Currently a college musical theater major, and all through high school and college so far, I'm cast as the weeby, dorky, sideman, or comic relief, and I'm getting tired of it. I tend to think I have a good comic timing, and being a gay, chubby Jewish dude, I feel as though I'm looked at as an ideal laughing, as ideal laughing material. In my school's current show, I had to record some stuff for the show, and it requires me being stupid and silly and getting laughed at, and I'm tired of it. I want to know if anyone has any tips on rebranding myself. I can't keep doing this. It's fun, and I know it's good to laugh at yourself occasionally, but it's starting to be a repetitive trend in me being typecast and occasionally turns into every show. So this is absolutely an issue in theater, particularly in theater education as this individual is experiencing. So they're a senior, I believe. I think they mentioned this in the comments. They're a college musical theater major, and... This is something that's difficult because college, you only have a limited pool of people to choose from. And so it's very easy for individuals to be typecast, particularly if you go to a smaller school where your theater program isn't quite as large and you don't have, say, MFA actors who are largely taking up most of the roles in your main stage season. It, it can happen. This is warning to all of you out there that are potentially looking to study theater in college that there is the potential that you will fill particularly stagnant or, or stereotypical roles over the course of your career in college. Now, that is not to say that you are stuck with that. Again, college theater programs are limited. They only have a, a set number of students to choose from. And if you have plays where there is a parental figure in a lot of the the shows that are done in the course of a season, and you happen to look a little bit older than your peers, you're probably going to be in those roles more often than not. But at, say, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, you graduate, move out into the real world, there's the pool of actual real actors who are parents and, and, and or can play that particular type of character because they they are that age and they fit that idea of being a parent you're not going to be considered for those roles now all of a sudden you are open to the roles that you probably should have been considered for at your age but didn't because of the set number of students that were in the theater program that you were in so the good news is that whatever is going on with your schooling whether you're in high school or in college if you tend to get the same kind of roles if you are typecast don't fret, you can get out of it, and you most certainly will at some point. So, stick through it. I don't like the idea of thinking of this as needing to rebrand oneself. I would maybe tell this individual that there's nothing wrong with you, that there's ab- the way you are and who you are and what you bring as an individual to your craft of acting is enough, and it doesn't need to be changed. Maybe what needs to change is where you're doing your shows. I know most theater programs require that students give the first consideration of the work they're doing to the program that they're in. That makes perfect sense. But if if it's available to you, go out and see if there are some local theater companies. Maybe, they, maybe they're community theater companies. Maybe they're uh, small professional companies in your vicinity where you can apply for roles or you can you can audition for roles for, uh, that are a little bit more the kind of role you want to take and the kind of role that reflects maybe better who you are. So 
you don't have to just stick to the college theater program if you have some of that flexibility. Also, how you spend your summer is really important. So working at summer stock, working for summer programs, or you can do some acting. Again, you're more than likely going to be considered for roles that are your age range and fit who you already are. You don't need to change yourself because of the limitations of the program that you're in. There are still things to learn from playing roles that are similar time and time again. In fact, it's not that you won't have some of that in the professional world too. You may be playing similar types of roles. If, you're, if you've got good comic timing, you might be in a lot of comic roles. The key here is how do you make these roles interesting each time you play it? And, and particularly interesting for yourself. I'm not necessarily talking about interesting for the audience. What do you do different that you didn't do before? What do you change about your comic timing or your comic exaggeration or your physicality and the way that you carry the character? Think about different ways to take on the role. Even if the role seems very similar to one you've been doing for a while or one that you've done in the past, go ahead and approach this in, in a completely different way for yourself. These are not things that you need to put on the surface of your work when you are in rehearsal or when you are uh, uh, working with your other collaborators to develop what this character is going to be like for the show. This can just be something that you do solely from your perspective, solely as a way to engage with this character in a new way that, that, that hopefully reinvigorates what you want to be doing. So that would be my advice to this individual if you find yourself out there in a similar situation. Don't change. You don't need to be different. No job, no matter what it is, should make you feel like you need to be different. There is nothing wrong with you. It is frustrating to have to live under the limitations of, of some situations. They could be professional theater companies. They could be college theater companies. They could be high school theater as well. But you are not stuck in those limitations forever. And you can do things for yourself that changes your perspective on the work that you're doing. And finding that is really key, even if it's just small little things. So that would be my advice in all of this. Don't change. You're perfect. You're wonderful. You don't need to do anything different. So having said that, that brings us to the guest for this episode. Gabriel Willem is an actor, translator, and activist originally from Indianapolis and based in London. Before working in London, he received his MFA in acting from Bristol Old Vic Theatre School and a BFA in acting from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and a BA in Spanish with a certificate in translation studies, so Gabe's been busy. He is a queer trans man and is passionate about telling the stories of those who are frequently underrepresented. Keep in touch with Gabe on Instagram at gabe.willem, that's at G-A-B-E dot W-I-L-L-E-M or at gabrielwillem.co.uk. So, Gabe, welcome to the Teaching Drama Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start off, we, we tend to start off with uh, our guests uh, giving you an opportunity to talk about your journey into theater. So tell me a little bit about your initial encounters with theater and how did you end up being where you are now? Yeah, so I actually started, um, as a kid, I was a ballerina. I was a classically trained ballerina for all of my young life. This and, has already uh, gotten off to the best start, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's, such a, it's, it's such a fun story to start. And, and, when, and whenever someone asks me, how'd you get into theater? It's, it, it's always surprising when people don't know this. Uh, so when I got to high school, I decided to do theater. Uh, I went to, I also went to Catholic school. That's a fun also introduction. Uh, so I did theater in Catholic school, but you know, it was very tiny. So everyone who did any sort of performance kind of did that. And then I went to a bigger public school uh, in Indy where I'm from and I got into theater and I kind of fell in love with that and then slowly phased out of being a ballerina uh, I still kept up dance, but that's how I started getting into theater. And then once I got into that, it kind of immediately, I knew that's what I wanted to do in college and further on. So then, yeah, it kind of just went from there. But originally I started on stage as a dancer, um, which, you know, is not that surprising for that many theater people, but yeah, still yeah, I get that. 
how does that inform your approach to character to to your work? Does is dancing still a big part of what you do? I would still say, yeah, I'm definitely. I always say that I'm an I'm an actor with with lots of dance training. So I don't say that I'm a dancer necessarily, but in actor spaces, I would say I'm more of a dancer than most actors. Uh, if okay. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. Like, Do you use the term mover? Yeah, I think mover is just such a like random word. Like <laughs> yeah, people are like I can fair. move. I'm like, yeah, most people that perform in any sense of the word can move. I don't know. Just tell me if you don't have rhythm, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, I just I just say I don't I don't do musical theater that much, but you know, in most actor forward spaces, I would consider myself more of a dancer than most probably. I don't know. I would say it doesn't really change the way I approach characters at all it just means that i have more classical training than most people do in dance yeah that's fair that's fair yeah so you're so you're based in london right now um you are an american but you're in yes. london so how did you end up there tell us a little bit about that well i always um oh god this goes back so far i always really loved england and london before maybe that was the like shakespeare nerd part of me or whatever but the summer after my freshman year at Illinois I did a Shakespeare short course at Lambda um it was a month-long course uh where we got to like live in London and you know I was going to school at Lambda it was very cool and I fell in love with it over here and was like I'm going to live in London if it's the last thing I do um and so then come like junior year when you know they start making you kind of think about what you're going to do with the rest of your life I basically knew, okay, I'm going to go to grad school because that's pretty much the only option for Americans to work here is to go to school here first and then, uh, and then, you know, continue that visa. And it also kind of helped that since I came out halfway through undergrad, I was like, I think I also need some more time to train. Um, so while I was at it, it kind of worked perfectly for me, uh, because I was finishing up undergrad and I was like, yeah, I need more time. Uh, and so that's why I decided to go right into grad school. So I had more time to train and, you know, come into my own form a little bit more, which also then spit me out perfectly into extending my visa uh, for two years, which is a very new post-Brexit thing that I got very lucky to be able to do. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so, yeah, literally just happened post-Brexit um, was that Americans, we could all extend our visa after doing uh, graduate programs for two years. So I could stay here longer, which is awesome. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of how I ended up over here. So I always kind of wanted to, and then it happened to just kind of fall into, fall into place the right way. Sure. Um, uh, if that makes sense. What is, no, what is your, what is your, uh, grad program over there? Because I know that the, is it an MFA technically, or is yes. it something different? So okay. my, my program was, it's specifically geared toward international students. So everyone in my program was not from the UK. We had two dual citizens, but it was it was an MFA in international acting is the technical title, oh. but it's wow. basically just MFA professional acting. Blah, 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 blah. A lot of us were Americans. It was basically a program that Bristol Bit created because of a lot of Americans wanted to study there and wanted the F in case they went home and taught again, essentially. Because as gotcha. we know, you have to have the FA to teach in the United States in higher education um so that's what it was originally geared toward but yeah it was mostly american students we had some canadians uh a couple australians a couple europeans mixed in um but yeah so it was based in a uk school but it was definitely created for non-uk students if that makes sense helping americans understand that there's a bigger world out there with a lot of people in it Exactly. Yeah. And also the way that higher education degrees work in any other country is completely different. Like mm -hmm. whew, learning that whole curve took me a minute. <laughs> I, I totally the, understand what you mean. Just the way that they I, yeah. do masters and doctorates <laughs> anywhere other yeah. than the U.S. makes no yeah. sense to us, but makes so much more sense just generally. Well, it's a good note for our audience too. If, if you're ever thinking, if you're a student now or you're, you're coming up on your higher education journey uh, and you, you want to go overseas, just know that, that things don't translate. I mean, language doesn't always translate the same, but neither do your degree programs. No, and they translate pretty poorly, to be honest, unless you're looking at 
programs that's specifically geared toward international students, you have to do a lot of homework to figure out what kind of degree yeah. you want and how well yeah. your your degrees translate and all that good stuff. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily bad homework you have to do, but it is homework you have to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that may be, you know what, we may need to bring you back on for an, a future episode to talk a little bit about that. Actually. I could definitely do that, man. Yeah. It's, yeah, and my partner is British too, so sometimes we'll be uh. like, talking about education, you know, pre-university level. And I'll just have to be like, wait, what age were you? And he'll be like, what's yeah. high school? And we have to touch base on all that stuff too. It's always a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, we'll save that for a future episode, but, but I wanted to talk to you today about uh, being a trans actor and, yes. and training and how that's worked for you. Uh, you know, and, and, and honestly, largely my interest in, in bringing you on has, lar- has been because I need help. Um, I, I think maybe some folks in our audience might find uh, themselves in a similar position that um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an old man by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but I'm certainly not a young man either. And so I only say that to say that when I was younger, when I was coming up through high school and even in college, um, trans visibility really wasn't much of a thing. It certainly, I don't remember having any discussions with anyone about trans characters or trans actors, or even to the best of my knowledge, did I know any trans individuals? So I I, I certainly didn't grow up in a world where these conversations were being had and Mm -hmm. where interactions with trans people were part of my daily life in a way that I was learning and growing. So you're you're going to be super helpful for me as much yes. as uh, as much as for the rest of our audience, hopefully. So I, I'm just curious. Can you please tell us a little bit about how you identify um, and exactly how to maybe have those conversations just based solely on identity? Yeah, well, to start, I, the thing with especially just gender right now is. I even feel old in the gender conversation because even when I was in high school and I don't, I don't feel old as a person really like, but even, <laughs> you're in, not, high you're school, not. <laughs> even in high school, I knew a couple trans people, but I wasn't having conversations about gender or really even sexuality. And I don't know if that was just my experience. Like I knew gay people. Uh, I even had some friends who, who had, you know, like two moms and I knew a couple of trans people who were out and I knew them before they came out while they were coming out, but it's not like the discussions were happening. Um, so I think a big thing that's, that's already helping in that and what I assume is helping for the younger generations, not that I would know, is even the fact that these conversations are, you know, are, are happening in everyday life, whether we like it or not, they're already, you know, a part of that. So personally, I mean, I feel like my gender changes on a day-to-day basis. Who even knows? But I identify as a non-binary trans man. Um, So to clarify, I was assigned female at birth and I came out uh, halfway through my undergrad program. And for a while I used they, them pronouns. and was like, I don't know what I am, but I'm definitely not a woman. And that was a confusing time for everyone and professors included. And then I eventually uh, (laughs) came out as uh, trans masculine started transitioning, I normally use he, him pronouns. And for most people, I just say, yeah, and I'm a trans guy and whatever, you know, identifying on that part of the, of the spectrum is easy for people. But I find that, you know, the gender binary is fake as we all know. And so I'm really identify more on like the non-binary side of it, but um, because, that's hard to explain to a lot of people. I normally just say, yeah, he, him pronouns are good. If you want to throw in a they every so often, you're fine, but that doesn't make me uncomfortable. You know, that kind of thing. Just because there's only so much legwork you can do in your everyday life. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you haven't, you, no, yeah, you haven't come up with a, <laughs> a, a really fun gender pronoun like Taylor Mac uh, wanting to go by Judy or something like that, have you? Yeah, Taylor, yeah, that, exactly. That's just some, that's a lot of work that I can can't do I'm too tired for that I'm too tired for that I respect the people that could do it but I'm just too tired for it you know I had a I had a student who recently um sent me an email and and I just happened to read their signature 
And in yeah. it, they list their pronouns, which they, them pronouns. And then the last one was vamp. And I was like, oh, that's a good one. Like, vamp. I guess I'm assuming it's short for like vampire, which is kind of cool. Like, I'm into it. I have no clue. Never heard of it before, but I love it. Like, that's yeah. just where I'm at. It's another thing that I say of why I feel so old in like the trans conversation with like neo pronouns. Just they confuse me as a person. I love them, but they confuse me as a person. And I'm literally trans. Like, well, it's, it's good. Fast it's moving right now. Yeah. And that's so great that that we can have this conversation and say, you know what? I This feels like 90% of it's going over my head with my age and everything. You're, you're, it's you're going over my head. Yeah. Yeah. It, that you're, you're so that in the midst of this world. Anyone else feel better. It goes over my head and I'm literally trans. Like it's okay. So, it's moving so fast for us all. But tell me about this journey because I think, you know, it's certainly an ongoing one and one that I think a lot of us in the theater world find ourselves on in some degree, but you know, how does this this reflect in your practice, both with your certainties about who you are and your gender identity, but also the uncertainties, and particularly when it comes to the uncertainties of dealing with other people who may or may not know or have any level of comfort with trans folks in the room? Yeah, I mean, Illinois, fortunately and unfortunately, gave me a lot of that uh, experience. Um, so I don't think they would mind me saying, so pretty much before me, there was only one other openly trans person to ever go through the Illinois undergrad program. And that was Theo Germain. If you don't know Theo Germain from the politician or other shows that I can't remember right now, check them out. They're amazing. I love him. Um, but he was basically the first person to go through the Illinois program as openly trans and went through a far more confusing journey than me. But basically by the time I came out, Illinois was was already starting their radical inclusion thoughts and movement, but basically hadn't put in any of the, the legwork for trans people. So a lot of the work that I was kind of forced to do was, especially when I was identifying as non-binary and using they, them pronouns, AKA just falling outside of the binary as a whole, was standing up for myself within the department, within casting and saying, hey, it's dumb that we don't have pronouns on our form. Hey, it's dumb that, you know, in the questions about nudity, we don't have a, like, let me explain or a yes to a certain extent, or, hey, it's weird that I'm not being seen properly by guest directors because no one is telling these people hey, some of these people don't fit within your gender binary or even for some of my other friends that race binary, things like that, you know? Um, and so a lot of that, I'm very, at the time, it sucked. And even now going through it and reflecting on it now, I hated to have to do it, but I'm also very glad I did it in the community in which I had to do that legwork because I know that it's there now for the people who need it. Um, but it's also helped me now as an actor when I was going even through grad school, there were like, you know, there's always um, student advocates who like talk to people in admin about like what they can do better for the students, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I now know I don't want to do that work anymore. I did that work for about two and a half years and I am good. Um, so I think having to do a lot of that legwork on the front end of me coming out made me realize what I, what I won't do anymore. Uh, professionally, uh, I don't, I won't, I won't gender bend anymore. Even in grad school, I got cast in a, in a female role and I wasn't the only man who got cast as a woman. We purposely were doing drag and I still felt like I couldn't say anything about it because I was in grad school and, uh, I hated it. I hated every what second do you think of it. Of what do you think about that term? Because we, we still throw this around, gender bending. We're going to, especially with Shakespeare, like, oh, we're going to do yeah. a gender bend, bent casting for this. I have different feelings. So like, it, so I did Troilus and Cressida, right? And we had, I don't know how familiar you are with it. Lots of Shakespeare people aren't familiar with it because it's a problem play. <laughs> the the um, most well-known Shakespeare play, Troilus and Cressida, yeah, yes. Yeah, the one everybody knows. <laughs> but basically the only two female characters that like have lines, even in the cut version, when you cut it down from the four hours are Helen of Troy and Cassandra, who's the one that comes in and is like, you're all going to die, don't go to war. And that's who I played. So we were both played by 
men and we both did drag. So they were like, we're gender bending, but also the director was queer, thank God. So we didn't just say like, oh, we're gonna gender bend it. She was like, I purposely want, we're thinking about, you know, assigned gender roles. We had women playing male roles. So we had drag kings, drag queens, etc. I don't inherently hate the term gender bending. I think it's the intention behind it. I think what my director was doing with that show specifically was, yeah, I want to throw people in drag because gender is dead and we can show that, you know, this can be done with anyone, etc. Great. I love that. I just think it should have been asked. I didn't explain that eloquently either, but you know what I mean? I yeah. just think, hey, putting a trans person to do drag in to then the gender they were assigned at birth should have been a question um, that I should have stood up for myself for. And that happened actually really early on when I transitioned to Illinois, I played a butch lesbian. Uh, I don't remember if you were there at that time when we did hit the wall. Oh, um, uh, no, I think that was actually the year after yeah. I left, but, it, but I was on the season selection committee that did pick that show because it's fantastic. I Coulter hit show. the wall. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other story. We should have it a different time, but, um, yeah, love that show. <laughs> but I also, that was also while I was identifying as, as a trans man and I got cast in that role as Peg, which is not technically i say in quotes a woman but definitely a butch lesbian uh and i knew after that show i didn't want to do that again and then i did it in grad school and now i officially know i refuse to play women in any form at any time no matter what um so i think doing that kind of legwork when i was an undergrad and having to stand up for myself actually helped me figure that out a lot um because a lot of trans people get put in that uncomfortable situation of having to be like, will I do this or won't I do this anymore? And I, uh, I feel very good now and solid in the fact that I'm going to say, nope, I don't care if you know that I'm a man and you want to put me in drag. I'm not doing it. Um, and what I do think, you think? So, I, yeah, so sorry, ahead. please. Well, I was going to ask about the drag thing because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think that a lot of, I liked what you said about your your director kind of having this sense of you know gender is dead. Let's let's just show how how human yeah. beings can be human beings and tell and still be uh, really important to a given story, exactly. the telling of that story. But at the same time, I think that there's some uh, or on the part of of some generations and some individuals that there's this equating of drag and trans and and it, how do you distinguish? I think because there is a lot of cross crossover and I think intersection in, in, in those worlds, yes. but they are certainly are not the same thing. There definitely there definitely is intersection, but they're also absolutely not the same thing at all. I think drag as a larger art form, which a lot of I mean, so many queer people are so passionate about, I think is really important because it's about exploring gender and exploring how your gender identity plays and also how you can be one identity and explore it. Like, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, and I think that that's important because yes, there are a lot of, even if we talk about, you know, like big famous queens, there are a lot of famous drag queens that are trans women. There are famous drag queens that are cis men and, you know, literally all over the map. Um, and so for a lot of people, I think they assume, yeah, drag means trans but it, I mean it doesn't because there's a difference in dressing up and going on stage and performing that gender which I think is what a lot of drag is about it's about the performance of gender and the personal exploration and performance of gender than it is to know what that is for yourself and identify that way yeah yeah I, I get that that yeah it kind of sounds it sounds a little bit like like drag is this is this uh, expression, this form of performance expression yeah. where you've got it's it's similar to the way that 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 we traditionally approach character. That so, for example, I'm thinking yes. I, I do know cis straight men who yeah. are great drag queens. They're amazing, yes, and incredible, exactly. and they, they're awesome. <laughs> yeah, sometimes so good that it's frustrating. 
but um correct <laughs> but, but, but they live their lives when they're not on stage they live their lives as as cis men who are straight they may have partners and girlfriends and wives all that kind of thing um and i think that there's this this idea in the head of a lot of people on on kind of my side of the theater table you know in the directing world and casting directing where we think of the performance of gender like any kind of performance where okay i just need you to put on you know essentially a character be yeah. on stage in that character and then when you're off stage you're whatever you want to be yeah and i i that is important but i think another layer to it especially as like being a trans actor and something i wish directors would think about is like people still have personal history behind why they wouldn't want to do that thing for example like shows have sex on stage and sometimes people have a history that means hey i don't want to have sex on stage it's the same way that you would ask you know someone if they want to play the other gender because just i know for me tapping into being a woman whether or not that's real and whether or not that's on stage is something i can't do comfortably without traumatizing myself essentially for mm -hmm. the sake of performing and I shouldn't have to tra traumatize myself to be able to put on a good show. I should be able to pull it. I can pull into my deep emotional life as a trans person. And in even playing like a trans male, I can still tie into that part of my history and not traumatize myself to put it on stage. But it's just different for me with my history as being assigned female at birth. I don't know. It's just one of those things that it's like, you would always ask someone, "Will you? Are you willing to be naked on stage?" You know, ask yeah. them, "Are you willing to play a man? Are you willing to play a woman?" Because for some people, it comes from the opposite side. For some people, you know, it's just they're really conservative and they're like, "Oh no, I won't do it." But for some of us, it's like I just can't put myself through that for other no, people. It's it's the kind of private side of acting, the personally private side of acting. Yeah, where and I and I think that what I struggled with in a, in a lot of that because in a lot of in my experience a lot of American teaching a lot of American theater teaching acting teaching is um is uh bring that emotional pain on stage and it, it's 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 slowly moving away from that and yeah. the Brits have a lot to say about it don't worry um but I think I think a, a thing that a lot of young actors don't know is that you don't have to be a traumatized individual to be a good actor and you don't have to traumatize yourself every night to get on stage yes. and you can be a good actor without going full daniel day lewis and seeing your dead dad on stage like <laughs> um and, what an example that's great <laughs> yeah fun fact he fun fact for anyone who doesn't know the background really quick uh daniel day lewis could not play hamlet on stage uh, he did like six weeks of rehearsal and then on opening night said, sorry, I can't do this because when I see Hamlet's father, I see my dead father. Um, and he's an incredible actor, went to Bristol Vic, Bristol Vic grad. He's incredible. But oh, I think did. that happens a lot with, with queer people and trans people is feeling the need to rip yourself open and put that on stage for people in order to tell your story. And that's just, it's just such bullshit. And so being able to know that me as Gabriel can say, no, I won't play a woman in any way, shape or form is A, I'm allowed to do it. And B, isn't going to impact whether or not I get cast or not. Because that's another thing I think in, in every training for, for acting in any form, it's like, oh, there's so many people. So if you say no to things, people aren't going to cast you. And it's like, no, they're not. I mean, if they are, you don't want to work with them anyway. So, like, screw it at the end of the day. If they're not going to cash you because you refuse to take your shirt off, whatever, you don't want to work with them. And maybe that's yes. just me, but, but I think that's the way it should be going because we're not pushovers, we're actors, and it's still our profession, and we're still allowed to say, no, I won't do that. Yes, I will do that. No, I won't do this thing. And no, I don't have to give you a reason as to why I won't do it is the other thing. I, you don't have to explain yourself. I totally agree. Yes, yes. And if there are any young actors out there, please take Gabe's advice because he's 100% correct. And just take, just take it from me. I did plenty of things in theater school in the 
five years I was in theater school that I now know I shouldn't have done to myself. But it, it wasn't worth the therapy I needed. It's just <laughs> it, like it's it's not it's not worth it. It's not worth making thinking that you're going to help yourself in training if you know it's going to hurt you. It's just not it's not worth doing it. Well, and I well, how, that, that how honest and vulnerable? Thing. How honest and vulnerable can you be in the midst of being in pain? Like, there's can't. just no way you can't. So yeah, like it's yeah. There's 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 just so many things that that unfortunately you can't. That it feels like you can't learn until you learn from experience. But learning from experience is the shittiest way to learn how to do it. And yeah, um, and actually hit the wall because you know the play so well. That was that was a big wake up for me because also the role of Peg basically gets sexually assaulted on stage. And um, I was very lucky. I worked with an amazing intimacy director. Shout out Zed Steinrock. Literally, I love him. I would die for that man. And I checked out with, our earlier episodes with Zev and with Jessica. So if you haven't heard it, uh, we have great, great episodes with them talking about intimacy direction. Had to do yes, a little plug worked, there. Sorry, go ahead. Worked with them both separately, but Zev on this occasion. And the actor that I worked with, who was unfortunately the character assaulting me was... Um, we were good friends. I felt very comfortable, but even in that environment, even in the environment where all the stops were in place and everything was there for me to feel comfortable and know that everything was safe, that I could say no at any time. I can't do that again. I just know I can't do that again. And it's just one of those things where I was so lucky that Illinois had all the stuff in place that I was put in that place safely because so many people at the same time were put in that same spot unsafely but it's another way that I just learned like nope I can't do that anymore and I'm not going to do that anymore because I had the right people teach me you can say no and I only felt like I couldn't because I was in an educational environment which also you can say no in an educational environment because it's still your education you're still paying for it uh, and you're a person too with boundaries and you can establish those even yeah. in a classroom setting. Yeah, exactly. And so like for me, I had to learn that that way. But now I know even in my professional life when I'm getting paid to do stuff, now I can say, you know what? No, I won't do that. Thank you. Thank you for questioning though. So let's talk about what does or what has worked for you. Uh, what have been yeah. some good good uh, situations or good teaching techniques in your training that have really helped you out, um, particularly from the perspective as a trans actor? Well, okay. More, more Zeb shout outs. I could shout out Zeb forever. One (laughs) of the biggest things, one of the biggest things that actually made the, the, the switch in my brain flip was sophomore year. He was my movement teacher, second semester. And I think it was, we were doing like syllabus day, but it was second semester. So you know how syllabus day, second semester is like kind of BS anyway. Everyone's like, yeah, I've taught you yeah. before. Whatever. The free day. It's really going to be yeah. a free day. Yeah. And so I think it was something he added to his syllabus just that semester. And it was like, uh, your name and your pronoun, don't quote me on this because it's not right. He has it written down somewhere much better, but it was like your name and your pronouns on your own and are subject to change. All you have to do is tell me. Like if at any point they change for you, all you have to do is tell me. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that from a teacher. And I mean, I was already clearly questioning, but I think for me, that was the thing where I was like, oh shit, I actually can walk into a classroom one day and be like, you know what? No, I'm different today and can still just go about doing what I'm already doing at the level and training of which I'm doing it. Because I think what happens, especially in, in theater school at, at the university level is you're thinking like, oh, I got put in this program because they wanted to have, you know, a good group of actors together. And they were thinking about all of us in relationship to each other. And, you know, there's all of that that kind of goes through your head. Um, so just somebody in, in a teaching position saying to me, to my face, hey, this can change at any time was a huge one for me. Um, and I know a lot, I know a lot of teachers have started implementing that kind of vocabulary anyway, which is amazing. Awesome. So glad that that is a thing. Kind of um, like meeting, meeting the, the student in the moment the, that they're in rather yeah. than asking the student actor to be in your moment as the 
professor teacher of the acting class exactly you're saying no i'm willing to meet you in your moment at, and if your moment today is you know you're feeling as a, a unicorn gender then be that you know exactly holy and like, holy and and it's always kind of a thing that that theater classes have done really well because theater classes i feel like have always been like if you're having a bad day just tell me that kind of thing so it kind of started that way of theater being touchy-feely about like talking about your emotions but it was just Finally, someone saying, like, your identity can change at any time, and that's fine. I was like, oh, my God, you're right. Um, but then another thing, uh, especially, like, in grad school and, and working on a show with drag is, like, learning for me where my personal boundaries were. Like, one, for, for instance, one day our director brought in a drag queen, um, and they did an entire workshop, the whole cast, so men and women did an entire workshop about being a drag queen and at one point I was just like I can't do this this is too much for me I have to go so I think learning when you're uncomfortable in those situations and knowing where those boundaries are and saying like no I can't like I'm not going to take this time to explore femininity I'm good that was just one of those things where I was like I can't do this safely so I'm not going to. Um, but I think that also comes up in so many other ways in training, like being able to stick up for yourself when, when people talk about you, like if they talk about who you were when you started training or, you know, those kind of things, being able to stick up for yourself if someone says your name incorrectly or dead names you or misgenders you or something, just being able to stick up for yourself and know that just because there are higher hierarchies, I say in quotes, in place because you're a student or whatever, that doesn't mean that people can treat you like shit. Well, no one's, no one's Period. the expert on, yeah, no one's the expert yeah. on yourself, but you, you're the exactly. only expert on yourself. And, so, and I think another thing too, that is developing um, with a lot of like teaching in many different ways around, in, around many things other than just like, gender identity and gender exploration is just being able to tap out when you need to and not have to explain yourself. That's a big thing with like intimacy direction too um, that I'm sure Zen and Jessica talk about because they always do. But like, if you're in the middle of any situation, you can just throw your hands up and be like, I'm out. And you don't have to explain yourself to anyone. And I think that that is a very, very important thing that was not given to me as a trans person, but I wish I had had because you don't really know what things are going to trigger you or going to make you feel uncomfortable. And there is a difference between being uncomfortable because you're in acting training and acting training is uncomfortable and being uncomfortable because someone is you know, questioning your identity or questioning you as a person or even attacking you as a person and being able to just say, I'm not dealing with this and I will not explain to you why is another good thing. Because I feel like in any, I mean, for my opinion, for people in a lot of underrepresented groups, you feel like you need to explain yourself. Even if you have like a mental illness, like you feel like, oh, I can't do this today because my depression is really bad. No, I don't have to explain why I don't need to do this. I'm just not going to. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, actually. And 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 the fact that it's almost like you have to justify why you need to be in the room. Yeah, because and, and it feels like that a lot. A lot of the times, too, especially like. Another thing with like casting is feeling like, oh, am I did I just get this role or am I just in this part because they wanted to play the trans card? And that that is something that I've struggled with plenty of times but being able to say like no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna need to tell myself or other people why I'm here because it it does and doesn't have to do with me but I'm here anyway you you bring up a great subject which is casting yeah and that that is I think for me because I I most of my work is directing so yeah I've personally been kind of struggling with with how to approach casting in a gender affirming way 
and yeah. and and not just trying to tick an inclu- inclusivity box like oh box, yes we're, yeah. yeah that kind of thing yeah um yeah so and I don't and I don't really know how to broach this this topic <laughs> or this question with you but except to say that uh you this, know you've clearly had a few that's what this whole podcast is for just just whichever way and then i will correct (laughs) afterwards okay good good well i I know you've you've clearly had some some troubles and and struggles with casting uh in terms of your own approach as an actor so how do how do i how should i approach it (laughs) you i mean genuinely tell me because Um, (laughs) i'm giving the podcast over to you so you can now tell me how to do things because You've mentioned, you know, asking, asking questions, like what do you, what, yes. what, where, where are your boundaries? Those kinds of questions, yes. like, that kind of stuff. Um, but in a lot of audition rooms, there's really not a lot of time or let space me, for that. It's some, sometimes there are, please. Yeah. Just take it. Let and me start with an anecdote slash a personal, uh, a personal grudge right now. And then you can go from there. Ask me questions. Oh, this so, is great. I'm, I'm excited. So, okay. So the big like casting platform in the UK is called spotlight. Right. And, um, it's basically just like backstage only it's mostly for like film TV stuff and stage stuff. And like, I still get emails every day that are like, here are new roles in your category. And so I'm listed as transgender male on all of these things. Great, fantastic. What I really, really wish casting people would do is instead of every time they want a man and they want to know, hey, we don't care if you're trans or not, they would just say male and it would send to everyone who's a male, trans included. What I wish would happen is that the transgender male tag was specifically used for trans male roles so I got an email that says, hey, this character is a trans male, which means you specifically can do it. Because, and this is just a personal thing, I don't speak for all actors in this way, but there's nothing that pisses me off more than looking at those emails and being like, oh, trans male, let me see. And it's just like, random white dude. And it definitely doesn't matter if you're trans or not. Like, I know you don't care if I'm auditioning for those roles because you're not gonna know whether or not I am trans or cis for those roles. Yeah, that yeah. Is, that is personally just, especially in today's day and age, like with a lot of companies being like, we want to be inclusive. So we don't care if you identify under the cis umbrella that this, that this, you know, character identifies as. For most people, I know that. We know that. We understand that you don't care if I'm cis or not. But for me personally, in an environment where I'm getting, you know, emails all the time because that's how professional platforms like that work. I wish that the ones that were tagged as trans would just be for actual trans roles so that those were the ones that when I could get really excited about the tag, it's for a good reason. Yeah. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yes. Oh, absolutely. I think it, I think it may go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Hey, everyone out there, let's make sure that if you have a trans character, you are casting a trans actor. Well, that should be a given in the first place. But you think it should it's be, not, but though. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not. But but that is personally my thing right now because I, I I see so many things going up, and it's like for it says like male, transgender, male, non-binary, and it's like really annoying because and then it's like that happens for me a lot. It'll be a female character, but then it'll say female transgender, female, non-binary. And I get non-binary roles because I am non-binary. But clearly you're saying this is a feminine presenting character, but you don't mind if a non-binary person applies. Fantastic. But also if it is clearly a role that's, you know, like a, like a, a house mom, that you're not gonna play with gender with. We know you're not gonna play with gender. You want it to be someone who's obviously feminine. Like don't tag it for people that you know you're not gonna look for. Because then that just makes it look like you're trying to check the inclusivity box of, of, oh, well, a non-binary person technically could play this role. It's like, yeah, technically no shit they could, but are you actually- You're not envisioning it that way. 
are you actually going to ask for someone to come in that doesn't look like Linda, the 35 year old soccer mom that you want to be here? You know, like it's. Yeah, I think for me, what what I find personally the most frustrating is. The the inclusivity, inclusivity need versus what I know a director actually wants. And it's not I'm not offended. I, and I think most trans people would agree with me. It's like, we're not offended that you you still want this one role to be played as the gender in which it is written, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's that just don't pretend like you're going to look at people that don't look like that or don't fit your role because you're trying to pretend like, oh, we're open to trans people because that's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's not like the existence of trans people and the gr- the uh, growing visibility of trans actors in theater has suddenly made all genders of all characters open to massive amounts yeah. of interpretation. Yeah, exactly. It's like that's that's just not how it works. So when when director normally what happens is it's directors who don't have casting directors because most casting directors are up to that, as we know. But um that just happens a lot. And you're like, that's not how it works. And I don't want to have to explain that to you. And I don't want to have to tell my agent to explain that to you. And I don't, you know, I just, I, there are too many layers of why are you even putting that on the internet? Yeah. And, and, and we, as, as those of us who don't have the luxury of being able to afford casting directors, (laughs) but, but we should do it's, it's free it's free knowledge to go onto the internet and do some homework here in terms, particularly when it comes to terminology. I just literally look at backstage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great, great uh, uh, suggestion because yeah, backstage has got a a lot of casting directors have weighed in on the language that is used uh, for, for those professional job boards like that. But yeah, yeah, just know your terminology, people understand the difference between non-binary, non-gender conforming, uh, trans, right. drag, all that kind of and, stuff. And that's another thing too that I think is very helpful about uh, how a lot of theaters have been putting out statements about, you know, how like we will like we we want you to know that these this is what our character breakdown says, but we're open to kind of everything. It's just it's just like what we were what we are and have been doing with race. It's the same thing, saying like oh, if you've seen how this play has been done before, it's normally been done with white people, but that doesn't mean we're going to cast it with all white people. It's the same thing with cis people, especially because if you think of it in even just the dumbest, dumbed down, black and whitest way, a lot of times you can't tell that people are trans on stage. I, I go up for cis roles all the time and people do not know I'm trans and they don't need to. It ah. doesn't matter. Yeah. So... You're a person think, playing a per- playing yeah, another like, person. Like I'm just a dude trying to play American roles in England sometimes, you know? Like that's my other typecast right now. It's just Americans in the UK. Like, sounds like some some take on the Robert Downey Jr. line from Tropic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> the layers of dudeness and, and race and things, except in this case it's dude and gender. It, literally, that's <laughs> that's what it is. Like I play like my my ins in the industry here are American and then trans. And then when it comes to like roles, I actually play pretty well. Like straight fuck boy is really one of them. So <laughs> I'm just saying like all of my material is like succession, like that kind of stuff. You getting, are you getting typecast is that? Yes. Well, okay. So part of <laughs> this is a sidetrack, but part of my, my grad program was, you know, learning like, you know, how you can automatically get typecast and, and what you play well. And mine is just kind of like intelligent, snarky asshole, which as we know nowadays on TV and film, very specifically kind of translates to like snarky fuck boy. And it works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you gotta, <laughs> look, you gotta look into it. To a certain extent, you gotta lean into it. You gotta, you gotta know what you can play. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta know how to cast yourself. Castability. So, so I wanted to read, I came across not too long ago, a, a statement by Creed Repertory Theater. It, this is a uh, company in Southwest Colorado. 
here in the States. Cool. And, and they put out this really great statement that they, they put on their casting notices. And I'm, I'm going to read it to you because I, w- yeah, I really yeah. want to share it with our audience and, and get your thoughts, what you think is really good about this, what might need some tweaking, that kind of thing. So here we go. Yeah. Um, most char- uh, There's a little bit of setup, but then I'm just going to jump right into it. Most characters we currently encounter are on the binary, are on the binary and are written with he, him, or she, her pronouns. However, limiting the descriptions our are our cast seeks to be as inclusive as possible, and we invite gender nonconforming, gender queer, transgender, and non-binary actors to submit for the roles they most identify with. We also list race slash ethnicity when specific to the character, but are otherwise seeking actors of diverse backgrounds and abilities. Please note, some tracks are paired with characters who are a specific race, ethnicity, age. All those in, in slashes. Don't hesitate to let us know if you have any questions, concerns, so on and so forth. Um, and then they do mention about uh, ability level. If you're an actor who might need spe- specific physical accommodations that can be provided, yeah. those sorts of things. So, uh, so, but about the gender, I, 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 there's a lot going on here because they package kind of gender, race, ability well, in, into one big right statement. Now. Yeah, and you, well, and I can understand why you need to do that because you usually in these calls you only have so much space to be able to yeah, put out what you need what you need to get out there. But nevertheless your thoughts on on how they understand or how they're explaining inclusivity but trying to do it in a way that isn't just about ticking a box but more about genuinely giving you information about in this case some characters are clearly identified this way but if we're not then we encourage that openness i think of all of the you know statements tagged at the end of casting things that I've read in my life. This is very good. Um, I like, I like the notice of most of the plays we cast have binary characters and, but we, I mean, basically they're a nice way of saying, but we don't care. And we want people of all, any, all of anything. And I also like that they say to submit for the roles that they most identify with because yeah, for a lot of people, you're not gonna have roles that are you so pick the one that works best for what you think you could play and um yeah personally i find this one to be non-problematic at all gabriel approved um but i'm sure i'm sure it's not perfect because i obviously don't speak for everyone but if i read if i came across this in something i would be like hey they've worked with trans people before and they don't live in 1995 so that's good yeah i think i think for me what I, what strikes me about it is that one it acknowledges the fact that and 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 isn't really apologizing for just acknowledging the fact that most of the plays that we work with have very clearly defined gender identities for the characters yeah exactly. um, and most characters are going to be cis in in their own identity but as yeah. you've already mentioned, you could <laughs> there's a, if there's a cis male smart ass fuck boy in that in that play, mm. then you absolutely mm. e- even though you identify as a as a non-binary trans man, that Perfect. you can yeah. absolutely play that role. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter that you bring. And I mean, actually, I think it could be more informative that you bring your experiences and your um, yeah, uh, own journey with your gender into a role like that. <laughs> yeah, I, could, flip. I agree. I agree. But, that, but that's My the thing we need as, as directors, we need to understand that what folks, what trans individuals and and genderqueer individuals and non-binary individuals, all these folks, what they bring to the roles is this this journey with their gender, this journey with their identity that I think that a lot of, particularly at younger levels, say high school, university, maybe even grad school, just right after. Yeah, they, that they, we, we don't, I didn't have that at that age. Yeah, I, I didn't could have before I came so out either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I didn't, like, that's just the kind of thing that you're not forced to think about until mm-hmm. you're not in an, most of the time not in an educational setting really yeah um i think yeah the only other thing for me of casting notices that's really important like we like we talked about earlier is if there is a trans role just being like don't submit for this if you're cis because that's just the worst i mean hopefully dear god above no one is doing that anymore but i know personally 
me, if I were ever a director and I was looking for a trans role and someone who was cis submitted for it, I would be like, I'm never calling them back for anything in my life ever again. Because for me, that's just a straight up red flag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, just, yeah. And I mean, I know a lot of people are moving toward that anyway. And in this case, it's not like they weren't tied to this statement wasn't tied to a specific play or anything. But just being like, we're only looking for trans people in trans roles is obviously just the biggest one at this point as well because i recently saw one on spotlight the uk professional platform that uh was seeking trans individuals and uh it it popped up in my email box and they were saying that they were looking for either cis or trans actors and i immediately emailed my agent about it and she said we already reported it don't you worry so it still happens. It's still it's still all over the place. And shouldn't that be the default? Ridiculous. I mean, it should be it should be the default that if there isn't explicitly stated otherwise that cis and trans actors are encouraged to audition. And then if it says otherwise, like we need only trans actors because this is a trans character. Because I mean, that's where you need to say literally that. Literally trans. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that would be my only asterisk, of course. But sure. For general, for general casting and stuff. I, I think this is really good because it, yeah, it, it, like you said, it acknowledges, hey, most of the plays we're doing have binary fitting characters without apologizing for it, but just saying, you know, that's what we have. That's what we're working with right now. But yeah. we want to work outside of that, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we solved all the problems of casting and gender oh and yeah all of them <laughs> after training <laughs> um but uh, here just to go wrap up is there anything else you'd, you'd like to leave our audience with particularly those who are out there um i know that that, that we haven't had we don't really have time to get into this too deeply but um i know there are a lot of theater teachers in places like texas where they're looking to enact laws uh, that are specifically targeting trans youth not even just trans yeah. adults but trans youth oh. I'm sorry. I just I have to comment and say I don't know how hateful you can be that you target young people, you target children. That's just it's, awful. Yeah, it's happening. But everywhere. nevertheless, it, it, we we can't solve that problem in this episode. But I just want to give you the opportunity. Do you have any words of wisdom or advice or encouragement for young trans actors, maybe at the high school level, and or trans or and or teachers working with trans actors at that level? Yeah, I'd say first. For, for, for kids at that level, what I wish people would have said to me when I was that age is it's not too early, no matter what anyone is saying. Um, and it's also not too late to come out and your life. Don't not do it because you've been cast as a leading lady your whole life and you're worried you're not going to get roles because I promise I had thoughts like that. And it happens to all of us. But you're also very lucky to be in theatrical spaces because they do tend to be the spaces that allow you to explore that. And I think a lot of theater teachers, in my experience, are are already good at doing this in the nature of the kids that they work with who are interested in theater at a really young age. But it's just having that space be open for trans students and letting them come in and talk about what they need to talk about. I think one of the things that I found the hardest about just academics in general is when teachers are like, leave it at the door. And it's like sometimes, and especially if you're a trans American right now, you can't leave it at the door. You, you do not have the privilege of being able to say, I am leaving what's going on outside at the door today. and I think it's really unfair of teachers to ask students to do that. And so I think the first thing is just, and that, and I think that got a lot better after Trump got elected as someone who was literally in university when that happened of teachers just saying, let's process this together because clearly we all need to, because sometimes you can't fix the problem. None of us can fix the problem but we can give each other space to process it. And for a lot of people in, in the US and, and even where I'm from, I'm from Indiana. Indiana is not the greatest place to be trans from. Just having a space 
to talk about whatever you need to talk about, even if whatever you need to talk about is really, really hard. I think that that is the biggest thing that is helpful for, I mean, anyone going through high school or any sort of training, especially in theater, because it is so hard and we all know that. And just having that space and having those people who are older than you and are willing to say, hey, I'm here for you if you need it. That is what I really could say is the most helpful for anyone. But if I were a trans kid in America right now, that's what I would want. I think that I think that's well said. And and I think that's excellent advice that, yeah, your classrooms, you know, making a classroom a safe space is also about giving space to those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Wonderful. Well, Gabe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This has just been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me. Many thanks to Gabe for coming on and talking with me on this episode. I hope you all enjoyed that. It's just such a joy to be able to talk to people from all over the world who are on their own journeys, and I I just hope that there is someone out there who's listening who feels that they can really learn something from individuals who come on the podcast and talk to us about their journeys in theater and through theater, so Hopefully, that is helpful for you. I want to know who you want us to talk to, what kind of issues you want us to address. So please, please be in contact with us. You can get in contact with the podcast at Teaching Drama on Twitter. I am at Kyle underscore A underscore Thomas. Seth, who is normally with us on these episodes, is at Seth Wish. And you can let us know what you would like us to talk about on the podcast, and we will do everything we can to get to that. Or if you have something you'd like to talk about with us and you want to propose an idea for an episode, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Stay safe out there, everyone. Keep doing great work. You're all amazing. Break a kneecap or whatever it is they say. I will see you in the next episode. This has been the Teaching Drama Podcast.